Well, good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Alex Chen. It's my pleasure to be with you. I've been here maybe two or three times in total. Um, I hail from Capitol Baptist Church where um, Pastor Sung used to go and attend before he became the main preaching pastor here. And currently I work with a college ministry called Campus Outreach down in Washington, D.C. Uh, it's, it's an honor. It's a, it's a pleasure to bring you God's word this morning. Um, and so before I begin, let me pray for us one more time and we can start our sermon. Father, we thank you that you are kind and generous to give us your word. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that your word sanctifies us by your truth. And so, Lord, we ask that you would humble our hearts, you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, and a heart that is soft to your word. Lord, would you transform us? Would you magnify your very self through this sermon and through your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever been confused about how you're supposed to relate to something? Have you ever been confused to how you're supposed to relate to something? Maybe it's, maybe it's a gift that you didn't really need. I, I don't know how many of you have received gifts that you're, you're kind of questioning, why, why did I get this again? Or maybe it's your job. Or maybe it's a relationship that you have. Well, for me, growing up as the son of two immigrants... I was confused about who I was supposed to be. You see, my parents, uh, they immigrated to the United States from the small island of Taiwan. And when I was growing up, they instilled Eastern values of family and honor and respect. They made sure that I had a self-giving work ethic and made sure that I would put the family first. But outside of the home, My friends and my teachers taught me how to live the American dream, to work hard and put my head down, to gain my own glory, to be independent. Well, the product of such a mixture was was me. It was a magnifying and a mixing of both cultures. I'm neither Taiwanese, nor am I truly white American. I'm neither fully Eastern, nor am I fully Western. Well, does your life feel like that often as a Christian? A mixing or a mixture of both the old life and the new life. Of sin and sanctification. Or maybe you aren't a Christian today. Well, first, thank you for coming and visiting and trusting a friend. I wonder if you've ever thought that Christianity is kind of confusing. They talk that you can believe in Jesus and have eternal life. But then they also say you have to follow all these lists of rules. So which is it? To believe or obey? Or maybe you're a Christian here today, and you're just a little bit worn out. You're, you're tired. You've been fighting the same sin, or you're getting through a trial, or you're just spiritually dry. And you're wondering, why is following God so difficult? Why does it feel so foreign? Why does it feel cold? Well, know that you aren't alone in that feeling. In fact, many Christians have often felt that sense of confusion in their own souls, this tension between the old and the new. And so much of that tension comes from the disconnect or the dissonance 
of how we live and what we believe. Christians, in the letter of James, experience that dissonance. And in our passage today, James chapter 2, James writes to Jewish Christians. And in this letter to these Christians, he's helping them understand that the whole following of Jesus is an embodied life. It's not just about professing Christ with your mouth. It's also about proving Christ with your life. It's about faith and works. A Christian life is the embodied message of Jesus spoken through your lived-out life. And James picks up on this disconnected life through the sin of partiality in our passage today. Well, what is partiality? Well, partiality is showing favoritism toward one person or another over uh, a different people group. Well, in this case, in the letter of James, James is pointing out that the Christians were being partial towards the rich people. They would judge a person based on what they would wear or how much money they would make, and they would give them seats of honor and respect. And James, in our passage, argues that the sin of partiality is an offense against the law of God. And so if you have your Bibles, please open to James chapter 2. We'll be camping out in verses 8 to 13. And you can follow along as I read the passage. James chapter 2, verses 8 to 13. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. On our passage today, James makes clear that he wants our readers to, and us today to clearly understand why the sin of partiality is wrong. And he does this by bringing in the law. And in our, you see in our six verses, we see the law mentioned five different times. Once in every verse, except for that last verse. And so what is the law? Well, the law in the New Testament refers typically to the commandments found in the first five books of the Bible. When you read or hear the word law, what do you think of? Are you tense because of its regulations and its rigidity? Do this and don't do this. Well, the law, we know, is a standard. It doesn't bend, it doesn't yield, it doesn't break, and therefore the law is binding. And yet James, look at the words that he uses to describe the law in our passage. He calls the law royal, liberty. And he also says that the law convicts and names people as transgressors. And so you can see that the confusion from these verses stems from the adjectives that James is using to describe the law. So what is James trying to do with our text today? 
I have just one main idea. James is helping us see that the law amplifies our transgressions and magnifies our Savior. The law amplifies our transgressions and magnifies our Savior. And we'll just break that down into those two parts. First, the law amplifies our transgressions. We see that in verses 8 to 11. It amplifies our transgressions through four different reasons. First, we see that the law amplifies our transgressions because the law is holy. Look there in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. Well, we see that James describes the law as royal. The word royal in the New Testament typically refers to the kingdom of God. This isn't just any law. No, this is the law of the kingdom of heaven. And the royal law, therefore, is set apart. It is different from any earthly law. To be set apart is what it means to be holy. And so what is this holy law? Well, Jesus in Luke 10 responds to the Pharisees' questions of the greatest commandment. He responds saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. He says all of the law is built on this commandment. And therefore, James quotes, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So why does James quote this command? Because showing partiality is anything but loving your neighbor. You see, loving your neighbor isn't a New Testament commandment. No, it's an Old Testament commandment. Leviticus 19, 18 says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You see, this commandment is a core commandment that was given to Moses and and to the people of Israel. The law was not new in the New Testament. It is the same law that was given hundreds of years ago at Mount Sinai to the people of God. And so when Jesus in his ministry says that all of the law can be summarized in this commandment, he's not making a new commandment. But instead, Jesus is helping expand the law back to its right boundaries. You see, the Jewish people had minimized and specified the law to be about their little circle of life. But Jesus comes in, and he stretches out that law, and he stretches it and makes it right to where it belongs. Jesus is kind of like a physical therapist. If you've gotten surgeries, as I have, you know that there is scar tissue wherever you have that surgery. That ligament or that, uh, that limb can't move the way it's supposed to. And so do you live as though, well, I can't move this arm anymore. I guess this is the way I'm going to live for the rest of my life. No, instead, you go to a physical therapist. And the physical therapist stretches your arm out and gives it functionality back. Well, likewise, this is what Jesus is doing to the law. He is going to the law and he's stretching it out to where it's supposed to be. So that when people look at the law, they say, oh, wow, that is what holiness is supposed to look like. You see, Jesus 
in his earthly ministry shows that the law of the kingdom is to love your neighbor. It's not just to love those who look like you or talk the same way as you or have the same culture as you, or believe in the same religion as you, or live next door to you. No, Jesus makes it clear that to love your neighbor is to love all of those around you. This is the holy law. So how is the law holy? Well, reason number two, the law amplifies our transgressions because it is given by the holy God. Look there in verse 11. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. James is arguing that the law was not something that the Israelites thought of or found, but was something that was spoken to and given to them. Leviticus 19 begins this way. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You see, the law is holy because God is holy. And if you are his people, you should look like him. Well, I'm married to a, a beautiful woman, but she is ethnically different from me. She's a white, white woman. Um, and both my children don't really look like me. And though they don't look like me, they sure act like me. I'll tell you about my oldest, Lottie. Lottie doesn't look like me at all. She's got lighter hair. She's got prettier skin. She's got big eyes like me, but she certainly has high energy like me. She's got many preferences like me, and she's very loud like me. And so though she doesn't look like me, she images me. Well, likewise, the law of God, which is his word, his holy word, is holy because it images the lawgiver. It bears witness to God's righteousness. Romans 7.12 says, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The law is given to reflect the goodness of God. It shows off who he is and it shows us how we are to be like him. So when James says the same one who said do not murder is the same one who said do not commit adultery, he is just saying all of the laws are spoken from and given by the holy God. And therefore, reason number three, the law amplifies our transgressions because it is the standard. It is the standard. Look there in verse nine. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. You know, showing partiality may seem like an insignificant sin. For some of us, it doesn't really seem like a sin at all. And that's because we often think that showing partiality or having partiality is the same thing as having preferences. Like I have a preference of beef over chicken. But the reality is partiality is more than just having a preference. Partiality is the state of your heart towards another. It is the hardness of heart towards a specific people. And when your heart is hard towards a people group, you don't look at them like they are the same as you. You look at them as less than people. And when they approach you, your heart grows hard and defensive rather than soft and compassionate. Well, Jesus in Luke 10 shows this partiality through the parable of the Good Samaritan. Many of us know this familiar and famous story. 
In that story, a Jewish man is robbed and left to dead on the side of the road, and two Jewish leaders walk past him, not wanting to help him, because they were afraid that if they helped him, they would no longer be ceremonial clean. And so they left him for dead. But the third man was a Samaritan man, someone who the Jewish people looked down upon and despised. Well, he sees this man and he helps him. He binds him up and washes him, and he pays for his expenses and housing. Jesus asked the Pharisees listening, which of these three proved to be the neighbor to that robbed man? And they said, the one who showed him mercy. To which Jesus replied, you go and do likewise. Do you see how partiality is more than just having a preference? It's the state of your heart. And when you're partial, James says here in our verses, you are convicted by the law as transgressors, those who have not held up the standard. This is a problem, not just for them back there, back then, during that time. No, this is a problem for us today. The law was given so that the people of God would walk in them to experience the blessings of God. It's the standard of God. And it is this because it reveals, the law reveals and defines what is already there. It says to hidden sin, you are sin. And it says to hidden righteousness, you are righteousness. It isn't that those sins weren't sins before, but now that the law came and identifies, well, then you have no excuse. Have you ever been into a pitch black room before? You walk in and it feels like the darkness consumes you. Your eyes are adjusting, and they keep adjusting. Normally, if there's some sort of light, your, your eyes adjust, and you can start seeing your hand in front of your face. But if you're in a really pitch black room, you can put your hand up in front of your face just inches. You can't even see it. Well, the question is, is your hand there? Does it exist? Well, of course it does, because you know that the moment you step out of that room, your hand's right there in front of your face. Well, likewise, when the law comes in, it clarifies and shows sin for what sin really is, an offense against a holy God. The law is the standard. It can't be bribed or changed. And so our transgressions are amplified because the law is a standard. So lastly, we see that our transgressions are amplified because the law is one. Look in verse 10 and at the end of verse 11. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. We're at the end of verse 11. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. We often think of the law as a list of commandments. If you break one, you've just broken that one. You know, it's kind of like bowling. Uh, you can knock down one pin and the rest of them remain up. Well, the law is not like bowling. The law is more like a glass sheet, where if you crack that glass, even if it's in the tiniest corner, that whole pane of glass is cracked. You know that crack in the, in the corner of the glass will eventually spread and creep all the way up for the entire glass sheet. Friends, do you see the problem that we have if the law is one? Have you broken any one of these commandments? Have you shown partiality? Have you lied? 
Have you looked lustfully or cheated? Have you become angry or impatient, prideful or jealous? When you look back at this last week, have you broken any part of the law of God? Well, if you have, then according to James, you have broken it all. And you are convicted and named a transgressor of the holy law of God and fit for his judgment. Brothers and sisters, James is shouting, you cannot do anything to keep this law through your own doing, through your own works. You cannot stop sinning. And even if you could, the moment you break one of these, you've broken them all. How then can James call the law freedom, liberty, holiness? How is the law which condemns every single living human in the history of the world a holy law of freedom? Well, only if the law was never meant to be the end of righteousness, but the means to point us to the promise. Only if the law was never meant to be the end of righteousness, but the means to point us to the promise. That is the key in understanding the law. You see, the law was given to Moses at Mount Sinai, but the promise of a Messiah was given since the fall. And therefore, the law is not there to nullify the promise, but to intensify our need for the fulfillment of the promise because we can't keep the law. When a fire alarm goes off, you see and you hear the warning. You hear the beeping. And at the same time that the fire alarm is going off, you see the exit sign light up. It says, safety here, rescue here, freedom here. The fire alarm alerts us to find the exit sign. Likewise, the law alerts us to find the promise. And this promised Messiah is Jesus Christ, the incarnate God, the word of God, the very one who spoke this law into existence, the very one whom the law was pointing to because it is him. You see, Jesus is the lawgiver, the law keeper, and the law fulfiller. Matthew 5:17 says, "Do not think I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill." Jesus is the one who fulfilled the law by keeping it perfectly and yet is condemned as a transgressor. Why? Well, we just sang it. On the cross, Jesus takes on all of the wrath of God, all the punishment of all those who would believe in him. He takes on all of their guilt, all of their sin, all of their condemnation, so that they might have his perfect record. On the cross, the lawgiver pays the penalty of the law for the law trespasser. And when Jesus dies, the unjust are named just. The transgressors are named sons. Justice is served and mercy is shown. But Jesus didn't remain in the grave. No, that's why we gather every Sunday. 
we gather because Jesus didn't remain in the grave. No, three days later, Jesus rose up from the grave, proving that the penalty for all of our sins, all of our transgressions have been paid for completely. Oh, friends, do you see the good news of this message? Because of Christ, the law is now freedom. For in Christ, the law finds its fulfillment. So where are you in this moment? Are you under the law of works? You keep trying to do the right thing, pray the right prayer, follow the right God, make the right person happy, but you keep failing, keep disappointing yourself. Or maybe you feel like you're disappointing your friends or your family or God. Dear friends, the good news of the Bible is you are free. You are free from that bondage of works because Jesus has done it all for you. You know, all of these statements that I'm about to say are true of each one of us. I am a liar. I'm a thief. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. I'm angry. I'm jealous. I'm lazy and proud. I'm selfish. I am a sinner. But Christ, Christ has made me free through his blood. And so accuser, devil, you may be right about all those things, but Christ is better. And Christ is mine. That is what every Christian in this room says. My dear non-Christian friends, do you want to have this relationship with Jesus? Well, Jesus welcomes you with open arms. He's never too far away. And so lay aside all your works and cling to Jesus by faith. How? By repenting of your sins and believing that Jesus has died for you. If you're feeling the weight of that call, well, this afternoon, I implore you, go and do business with God. Go and seek him out through prayer. Ask and confess your sins and ask him to transform you. He will surely do that. If you have questions about how to do that, talk to me or anyone you saw up here after the service. We would love to help you think about how to do that. Well, friends, though the law amplifies our transgressions, The law also magnifies our Savior. This is the second part. My big point is the law magnifies our Savior. We see this in two ways. The law shows off the freedom we have in Christ. Look at verse 12. The law shows off the freedom that we have in Christ. Verse 12 says, So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Well, because of Jesus, because of his death, We are given a new birth. We are given a new heart that loves the things of God. A new heart that, like the psalmist can say, I delight in doing the Lord's commandments. Through the Spirit, the law becomes freedom to us instead of bondage. And so James commands us, speak with love, act with courage, because we have been freed to obey the law of life. Christian, are you having a hard time seeing the law as liberty, as freedom? Well, would you go this afternoon and meditate on Psalm 119 and pray through it? Pray as the psalmist prays. Help me behold wondrous things out of your word, O Lord. Or how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. You see, instead of the law condemning us, the law actually now teaches us 
how we are to live in the delight of our Savior. And as we live in the delight of our Savior, the law becomes our delight because it is his delight. The law magnifies our Savior because it shows off the freedom we have in Christ. And second, the law magnifies our Savior because it is mercy. It's a little strange to conclude this text with the words found on, uh, on, in verse 13. Right? Look there. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Well, have you ever thought of the law as merciful? The law is mercy because it reveals our deep need for a Savior. God didn't have to give us the law. Think about that. He didn't have to give us the law. He could have let all of humanity wander into darkness and destruction and judgment, but he didn't. Instead, God gives us the law to convict us of our need for a Savior. This is mercy, and this is who God is. God is always both just and merciful. He expects us as Christians, to be the same. He expects us to live and uphold justice, but also to show mercy. We are to look at our neighbors and show mercy, for he himself has shown us mercy in judgment. He didn't have to save us, friends, but he loved us that he did. So this passage is rich with application, but here are just two ways that I thought about that we can apply this this week into our lives. First, delight yourself in the law of God. Study it and pray it and live it out by faith. Because of our sin, we can so quickly distort our spiritual disciplines to be works-based righteousness. If I read my Bible every day or pray every day, or if I share my faith every day and do good works every day, then God will love me and he'll give me what I want. But friends, the studying, the praying, the sharing, the living out of the law is for the purpose of knowing the lawgiver. So seek his face continually and constantly ask of him to cause your soul to delight in him alone. So number one, delight yourself in the law of God this week. Number two, love your neighbor as Christ has loved you. You all, as a congregation, I've heard from Pastor Sung and from your own witness, are so hospitable. You exemplify this command already so well. Even though I live 45 minutes away, I feel like, and I've only visited this church three or four times, I feel warmly welcomed by this congregation every time I come. Well, friends, that is a fragrant smell to the Lord. It's a great delight to me. It is the most convincing proof that the message of Christianity, of Christ, is real and living and active. When you live lives of hospitality and lives of holiness, Christ's life seems and appears more beautiful and wonderful and attractive. And so continue to do that. Take some steps of faith to invite your neighbor over for a meal. To just get to know them. You know, our generation, uh, my generation, your generation had a lot of hospitality. Y'all had front yard ministries, is how I put it. As, as society has advanced, we've become backyard people. We like our fences. 
We like people not knowing what's going on. There used to be people who sat on on porches and just said hello to their neighbors. There used to be when someone new moved into the neighborhood, you you would get piles and plates of cookies. I remember moving into a new neighborhood when I was a when I was a young boy, and our neighbors would welcome us in. They would invite us over to a party or something to get to know us. Friends, that is foreign in our, in our society today. So imagine the power of Christians doing that when no one else is doing that. Imagine the power of just inviting a neighbor to get to know them, to take care of them, to feed them a meal, to play cards together. The witness, the aroma of Christ is fragrant. It is, it is of life to life and death to death. That's what 2 Corinthians says. And so be hospitable. Take some steps of faith. And for those of you who have children, you know, maybe adult children, keep praying for them, friends. Keep praying for them. The prayers of the saints are a fragrant offering to the Lord. He is not slow to answer those prayers. And in fact, those wrestling moments of prayer may be the very answer that he wants from you, the answer that he gives to you, to know that your soul is fully and wholly dependent on him. Oh, friends, there is so much to say about this passage, but if you are in Christ, the law of God is life to you. And so look to it as holy, as given by the perfect lawgiver, as our standard, as one, as freedom, and as mercy. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are kind to give us your word and your law. You are kind to reveal to us your perfect character and your holiness. Father, you are even kinder to save us from our sins that is revealed by the law. And so thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his death on the cross. Thank you for his life. Thank you for, the, thank you for resurrecting him. Thank you, Lord, that you have given him all authority. Thank you for the spirit that transforms our hearts to love the things that you love. Oh, Lord, would you make us faithful witnesses? Would you make us strong and steadfast in the things of your law? And Lord, would you cause our hearts to delight in your law as your heart delights in your own very self? Glorify and magnify your name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.